so good to be with you this morning, to be able to worship with you, to be able to gather with you. Today, we are going to start a new series titled, Developing a Mature Faith. Developing a Mature Faith. This series is going to come out of the book of James. James chapter 1, verse 1 through 12 is where we will begin. Developing a mature faith. Historically, the authorship of the book of James has been attributed to James, the half-brother of Jesus, who was a leader of the early church at Jerusalem. James's audience is Christian Jews that are spread out throughout the Gentile nations. And I was drawn to the book's practicality and diverse yet succinct subject matter. James is often called the Proverbs of the New Testament. And before we begin, I would like to thank the authors and preachers that have contributed to my own thinking and preaching in the series, which are many. But especially, I would like to thank my two major sources, which were Rick Warren in his series preaching through the book of James and the Bible Knowledge Commentary series. At this time, if you would be so kind to stand with me for the reading of God's word. James chapter 1, verses 1 through 12. And the word of God reads, James, a servant of God, and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the twelve tribes in the dispersion, greetings. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation. Because like the flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass, its, its flowers fail or fall. And his beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life. Today, I would like to tag this text. How to pass your test without passing out. How to pass your test without Passing out, you may be seated. 
My first place of employment was at a Wendy's that was located about a quarter of a mile away from my home. And working there was hard work because of its location. The restaurant was always busy. And what especially made it difficult was the, the two store managers that worked there. They were extremely immature. And one day I did something that I regret. In the midst of, of rush hour, in the midst of a time that they needed me the most, I walked out and I quit. And one day my father sat me down to talk. And that day he taught me a valuable lesson. He said, son, I want you to understand this about God. God allows us to be put in situations where our faith and our character is tested. And I want you to understand that if you fail the test, God will allow you to continue to be put in similar situations until you have passed the test. And soon after, I learned that my father was exactly right. I was put in a similar situation at my next place of employment. I had a, a, a similar manager that was just repackaged. But by God's grace, I was able to do better on the test. By God's grace, I was able to pass the test. And many of us are going through some type of test right now in our lives. And what I'm wondering is, what is your current score? How are you doing on this test that God is allowing you to go through? Some indicators that we may not be doing well is this. If we find ourselves constantly complaining and griping about the test, we may not be doing well. If we find ourselves allowing the test to affect our view of God's faithfulness, we are not doing well. If we find ourselves giving up hope in the power of God and placing hope in ourselves or in someone else, we are not doing good on the test. If we're allowing the test to lead us into justifying why it is okay for us to delight in our sin. If we are telling ourselves that we deserve this pleasure, that we deserve this sin because of what we are going through, we are not passing the test. In essence, we fail to do well on the test when we fail to put our faith and trust in God. Ladies and gentlemen. Listen up closely to this next statement. God wants you to pass the test without passing out. And in order to pass our test without passing out, there are three truths that we need to know about tests. Look at verse 2. James says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. The first thing we need to do if we are going to pass the test is we must understand that tests are unavoidable. Tests are unavoidable. 
James says, when you meet trials. Notice that he did not say, if you meet trials. He said, when you meet trials of various kinds. Tests are inescapable and inevitable. Every human being born of a woman will experience tests. Job 14.1 says, man who is born of a woman is full of days and full of trouble. This trouble is unavoidable. It is part of being a human being. And many of our tests come simply because we are Christian. The second thing that James wants us to know about test is found in verse 2 as well. He says, when you meet trials, when you meet trials, the second thing we want to understand about tests is that tests are unpredictable. Tests are unpredictable. The Greek word for meet, or as some translations may say, face, it literally means to fall into unexpectedly, to fall into unexpectedly. And a great picture of this is seen in Luke chapter 10 where the same Greek word is used to describe a man that fell among robbers. Meaning that this man came up against robbers unexpectedly. And that's what James is saying here about tests. Tests occur unexpectedly. How many of you ever went out to your car one morning while you were on your way to work and had unexpected car trouble? Or how many of you ever went, got up in the morning and went to your thermostat to turn on the air condition only to have nothing happen and nothing come out of it? The problem with problems is this. We can't plan them. We can't plan our problems. Just as Job in the Old Testament didn't get to plan his tests. Tests are unavoidable. Tests are unpredictable. And the third thing that James shows us here is that tests are diverse. Tests are diverse. Look at your text. It says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet Trials of various kinds. That word various in Greek literally means multicolored. Multicolored. James is trying to show us that our tests are diverse. They are like a 64 pack of crayons. Tests come in all shapes and sizes and colors. And some tests, I found out, that some tests are life-changing or life-altering, while others are minor and minimal. And some tests you deal with, and other tests deal with you. God allows tests to come our way, diverse issues to come our way. Now, some tests come simply because we are human. Tests that test our, our health, sickness come because we are human. The death of a loved one comes because we are human. Financial hardships may come because we are human. Relationship strains may, may come simply because we are human. And, and, and others tests come as a result of us. 
and things that we have done. Result of our sins and unrepentant sins. And I found out that other tests come simply because we are Christians. Simply because we are standing for what God's word said. In 1 Peter chapter 4 verse 12, the word of God says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. Peter told his audience that we ought to expect tests to come because we are Christians. If Jesus, the one who was perfect, if Jesus, the one who lived a sinless life, who was God incarnate, had to go through tests and trials, had to be hurt and ridiculed, surely we will. Is not the student greater than the master? Tests are unavoidable. Tests are unpredictable. Tests are diverse. But there's good news. And the good news is this. Tests are purposeful. Tests are purposeful. Let's look at the word of God. And the Bible goes on to say, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Tests are purposeful. When God allows us to be tested, he is testing something specific. And what specific thing is he testing? The Bible says that he is testing our faith. And why is God testing our faith? He's testing our faith because he wants our faith to produce something. He wants our faith to say something. And what does he want our faith to say? He wants our faith to say, for all, I trust him. He wants our faith in the midst of the storm, in the midst of the trial, in the midst of the tribulation to speak loudly to those who are in the world, loudly to those who are immature Christians and say, look, I am standing on the promises of God for all I trust him. If God did not allow tests to come our way, if God did not allow times of difficulty and trials to come our way, our faith would speak, but our faith would not say what he wanted to say. Our faith would say, I'm the man. Our faith would say, I'm strong enough. Our faith would say, I'm smart enough. I can figure it out. But God designs tests for his children, for his believers, and allows them to come in order that we would say, Abba, Father, help me, Father. Our, faith, our tests may be difficult, but our tests are purposeful. They're to purify us, to make us to look more like Christ. James here says that God tests our faith in order to produce steadfastness. In order to produce steadfastness. And the question that we have to ask ourselves is, is what is steadfastness? Steadfastness is endurance. It's endurance. He tests our faith in order to build up our endurance. It's literally staying power. God allows us to go through tests in order to grow our staying power, which means in order to help us to stay fixed on his purpose. 
Our purpose is to glorify him and to fulfill his purpose. And he allows us to go through tests in order that we will become steadfast and unmovable. In order that we will be fixed on his purpose. And his purpose is to glorify himself through us. When a high school cross country coach gets his freshmen, they are, are probably out of shape. They probably show up to the practice ready and willing to work. But they have no idea what he has in store for them. He looks at them and he tells them, he says, go and run two or three miles. And most of the freshmen probably are complaining because they hadn't run all summer to prepare themselves. So they go and they run those miles and they, they come back and they say, man, that was a workout. But do you know that that coach is strategically going to test them vigorously throughout their practices because he knows that by the end of the season, he wants them to be able to run eight or nine miles without quitting. And by the end of the season, those two miles that they had to run in the beginning of the season is a cakewalk compared to what they're running at the end of the season. It's exactly what God does in our lives, in our hearts. When we first come to Christ, we don't have a lot of endurance because we don't have a lot of word. When we first come to Christ, we are not as steadfast as we need to be. But God has a plan for us, and his plan is to use us to reach the nations, to reach the world. But in order to get us to that place, he has to take us through some vigorous tests, through some vigorous trials. And we continue to go through these vigorous tests and these vigorous trials until we reach the finish line, which is the new Jerusalem. A coach does not want his players, to go out during that race or meet and embarrass themselves or the school. So he prepares them during practice. And God does not want us to go out to our workplace and go before our families and embarrass him, his name, his church, or ourselves. So he allows tests to come daily to shape, and to chisel us to be what he has called us to be. The testing of our faith produces steadfastness. And steadfastness produces something. What does steadfastness produce? Look at verse 4. Unless steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Lacking in nothing. Go down to verse 9. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with the scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flowers fall and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. James is showing us here that God allows our faith to be tested in order to produce steadfastness. And when steadfastness has taken its full effect, we will be perfect and complete. Now, perfect and complete does not mean, James is not saying that we will have sinless perfection. 
He's not saying that because God never says that throughout the scripture, God is clear that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And that as long as we are on this side of heaven, that we will fall short. But what James says in James chapter three, he, he lets us know even more so that he's not saying that he says we all stumble in many ways. This term perfection means that steadfastness brings forth spiritual maturity and wholeness. It brings forth spiritual maturity and wholeness. Person is not perfect. Person will never be perfect, but God sends storm our way, storms our way in order that we could trust him who is perfect. And God is trying to get us to a state of maturity where we can say, like Paul, that in every situation I have learned to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound and, and all in any circumstances. And I have learned the secret of placing, facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. God is trying to get us to a place that no matter what is going on in our lives, we are acting with a spiritual maturity. Spiritual maturity. It's interesting as we look at verses 9 through 12 because some people in reading the book of James thinks that James here is switching subjects. They think that James is now talking about something completely different than now he is talking about the rich and poor and he's talking about poverty and all these other things. But, but James here is talking about the same subject. In fact, he's really illustrating what he's been saying in the verses before. James takes two types of people. He takes a poor person who is in Christ. And he's taking a rich person who is in Christ. And he is showing that through the test, through these trials, God is doing something great in both of them. The poor person who has no material wealth who has not, who doesn't have many material possessions through his trials, he learns to depend and trust on God. He comes to a place of exaltation when he realizes that in Christ he has more than he would ever have through the possessions of this world. He is exalted because he realizes that the one true value that he does have, it could never be taken away. Do you realize that? Do you realize that what God has did in our lives and what God is doing and what God has done is working in such a way where we are seeing Christ's value more and more? And when things come against us, when things are taken from us, God is, is working in such a way in our lives where we are coming to realize that to live is Christ and to die is gain. That naked I came into the world and, and naked I will live. Leave. That as long as I have Christ in my life, I will have more than enough. That's what God is doing in the poor person's life. And in the rich person's life, he's, he's making them humble. He's working and testing and, and showing them that, that their wealth is not enough to sustain them. That their wealth is not where their peace comes from. That their wealth is not power. That Christ is their wealth. And he goes on to tell the rich person, that his riches will fade just like the flowers in scorching heat. It will one day wither. Its beauty will perish. And so is the rich person who puts his faith and trust 
in his riches. It's the amazing thing about God. It's that God is working in millions of people's lives. He has worked in, in millions of people's lives in different ways. Even in this room, God has orchestrated tests and trials for us. He's, he's orchestrating a test for this brother and a test for this sister. He's orchestrating a, a test for the pastor and a test for the usher. He, he's orchestrating all of these tests, but, but he's orchestrating these tests for two reasons, for our good and for his glory. God is so amazing. I can barely balance doing two things at one time. And somehow God is holding trillions of trillions and trillions of things in order at one time. If we are going to pass our tests without passing out, there are three ways that James calls us to respond in this passage finally. Finally, there's three ways that he calls us, responses that he expects from us. The, the first response that James expects from us, it may be to our surprise. Look at verse 2. Count it all joy, my brothers. Count it all joy. Count it all joy, my brothers. The first thing that we must do if we are going to pass our test without passing out is we must rejoice. We must rejoice. To count means to calculate. It means to consider He's saying, consider it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. How in the world? How in the world can we count our tests, which sometimes call us, calls us pain, which sometimes calls us embarrassment and heartache? How in the world can we count it all joy? How in the world could James call us to rejoice? Is James living in Never Never Land? Is he swimming in the ocean of optimism and the pool of imagination? How in the world can he call us to do this? Well, let's look at the text real quick. In verse 3, James tells us the secret to responding this way. He says, for you know. For you know. And here's the good news to you today. Is that just like James said, for you know, we already know. What James was telling his audience is, is the way in which we can count it all joy is because we know that our tests, that our trials, that they are purposeful. That they are working to build steadfastness. That they are working to build spiritual maturity. So James says, listen, you know that this is working out for your good and not out for your evil. For you know, Paul says. All things work together. All things are calculated together. All things are considered together for those who love the Lord and who are called to what? To his purpose. To his purpose. James says we can rejoice because we know that all things are working together for his purpose. For his good. For our good. For his glory. In the midst of our tests, we must remind ourselves 
that our tests come in order that we might have a testimony. God is the artist and believers. We are his canvas. We don't know every stroke that he is making, but what we do know is that when he is finished, our life's picture will be beautiful and extravagant. And the strokes that God makes on this canvas called our life, sometimes it may hurt, sometimes it may cause tears, sometimes we may be confused, but we have to have faith in the artist knowing that this isn't the first time that he's painted a picture. Another truth that will help us to rejoice is knowing that God calls us to rejoice not for our tests, but in our tests. God doesn't call us to rejoice for our test. He calls us to rejoice in our tests. Paul in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5.18 says, Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Did you catch that? Did your neighbor catch that? Shake your neighbor. Make sure they're woke. I don't want them to miss this. God is saying to us that we are to give thanks to him in all circumstances. Not for all circumstances, but rather in all circumstances. I'm so glad that the Bible throughout the scriptures that it says in and not for. If it said for, I would have to do some serious fasting. And you would too. Be hard to rejoice for sickle cell. Be hard to rejoice for the death of my wife. It'll be hard to rejoice for the death of my parents. It'll be hard to rejoice for my car trouble, for my baby mama drama. That would be hard, but I can rejoice in my trouble. And the reason I can rejoice in my trouble is because I know that I serve a God that steps in the fire with me. Steps in the fire with me. God wants to make us mature. He wants us to come to a place where we can rejoice. And the key to rejoicing is remembering that God's desire is that we pass the test and not that we fail it. Rick Warren noted that through trials, a person will become either better or bitter. A person will either become better or bitter. The difference between better and bitter is in the letter I. Rick says that I makes the difference. The I is you and my attitude. In the midst of your trial, in the midst of your testing, what will you do with your eye? What will you do with your attitude? I pray that you would choose to respond like David. Do you know what David did with his eyes throughout the Psalms? He, he took his eyes and he put it with the praise. He said, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise will continually be in my mouth. I will bless the Lord. I will enter into his gates with thanksgiving, into his course with praise, be thankful and bless his name. He took his eye and turned it to praise. Took his eye and he turned it to praise. The second key to passing our tests is that we must make 
our requests. Verse 5. Not only must we rejoice, not only must we take our eye and put it with a praise, but we also must make our requests. Verse 5. The word of God says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given him. James says, not only must we rejoice, but we also must make our requests. We must simply pray. We must pray to God for wisdom in the midst of our trials, in the midst of our tests. Our, our first inclination is normally to run to someone else, to, to see someone else, look in our eyes and, and give us comfort. That's our, our first inclination. But James is saying, go, run to God. Run to God. Go and tell him what you need. The reason that we are in this test, the reason that we are distressed and anxious in this test is because we're lacking something. And James says, go to your father and ask him for what you're lacking. What are we lacking when we are distressed? What are we lacking when we are anxious? What are we lacking? We are lacking wisdom. James is telling us that when we become stressed because of our tests, we must not resolve to alcohol. We must not resolve to pills. We must not resolve to marijuana. We must not resolve to, 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 to sexual pleasure outside of marriage. But rather, we must resolve to go to God and pray for wisdom and why should we pray for wisdom we should pray to God for wisdom because wisdom is the ability to do things God's way wisdom is the ability to do things God's way and as Christians through our tests that's what we want to do we want to do things God's way we want to we want to respond in a way that pleases God and you can have all the knowledge in the world but without wisdom we can't please God James says in James chapter 2, verse 19, he says these words. He says, listen, he said, the demons know that there is a God and they tremble. But the demons aren't saved. The demons aren't God's children. It takes more than knowledge to please God. It takes wisdom. It takes wisdom. Perhaps that's why the Proverbs, the, the, the author of the Proverbs is constantly telling his audience that wisdom is the, the key principle. Wisdom is the principal thing to be sought above all things. Proverbs chapter 4 verse 5 and 7 commands, get wisdom. Get wisdom above all things. Get wisdom. Wisdom is described in the Proverbs as being better than the accumulation of gold. True wisdom comes from God. When we seek God's wisdom through prayer, we will experience God's peace. The beautiful thing about this is that God makes a promise. The promise that he makes is this, is that when we come to him and ask for wisdom, he, he gives us wisdom generously without reproach. It means that he gives it to us freely without an attitude. Isn't that something? We can go and ask someone else for something that loves us, and they may give it to us, but they may not give it to us with the right attitude. God, when we ask him for wisdom, he gives it freely. He gives it in abundance. He gives us enough to make it through our test, and he gives it without reproach. Without reproach. God makes a promise that if you ask, I will give it. 
Just like he did with Solomon. See, King Solomon, and we know that he, as a young boy, takes over his, his father's kingdom. And God comes to Solomon in a dream and basically gives Solomon one wish. What would you ask God for if you had one wish? Solomon, ask anything from me and, and I will give it to you. What does Solomon ask for? He asks for wisdom. Lord, give me wisdom. And God says, Solomon, I will give you wisdom. Not only will I give you wisdom, but I will give you the other things that you could have asked for. God is pleased when we come to him as his children and we say, God, give me wisdom. Give me wisdom. God gave Solomon wisdom. The Bible says that people of all importance would come to Solomon to, to seek his wisdom. Queens came to Solomon just to see what God was doing in his life. And God can give you wisdom as well. The next thing that we must do if we're going to pass our tests without passing out is, is that we must relax and rely on God. We must relax and rely on God. Those who are granted wisdom are those who come to God asking in faith. Look at verse 6. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. The Lord is saying that when we come to him and ask for wisdom, we must ask in faith. We must ask in confidence. He wants us to come to him boldly before his throne of grace. He wants to come to him, us to come to him with reliance and, and, and an understanding that he is our father. And the person who does not have faith is a person who really is not his child. For we are saved by faith through grace. Faith is what our salvation hinges upon. Grace is what saves us, and, and it's through our faith, and it is what our salvation hinges upon. The writer of Hebrews says that without faith, it is impossible to please him. When we come to God our Father, without faith, the Bible says that we are come to him as a double-minded man. And this is not a good term in the scripture. A double-minded man is a man who does not believe. It's a man who is lukewarm. In the Greek, the word double-minded literally means two-souled. Today is what we would call somebody being two-faced. When we come to God and when we stand before him and when we pray, Lord, help me in this situation. Give me wisdom. But when we get up and we're still stressed out and we're going to everybody saying that I pray to God, but he's not doing nothing. And I don't know if he's going to make a way. God said we are coming to him and we are being two-faced. And a two-faced person is not someone that pleases us. God says when you come to me, relax. 
Relax. Get up and know that I have heard you. Get up and know that you can rely on me. Get up and know that my promises are true. Get up and know that I will come through for you. Don't come to me like a staggering drunk. Don't come to me with no confidence like an unbeliever. Know that I am your father. And if we stop for a second and be honest with ourselves, anytime we have ever needed anything, God came through. He may not have come through when we wanted him to, but I tell you, he was right on time. He was right on his schedule, and his schedule is the schedule that matters. And me and you, we've got to learn daily to take our requests before the Lord. We've got to learn daily to rely and relax in him. We've got to learn daily to go and ask him for wisdom. I'll tell you, if this scripture wasn't in, if this text wasn't in the scriptures, I would be in trouble. Because as a pastor, I am relying on God's wisdom. There are times when people come to me with things that are just too grand for me, too big for me, too too strong for me to figure out. And the only hope that I have is James. When James said, if any man lacks wisdom, let him ask. And I come to tell you that by God's grace, whenever I have went to my father and sought his wisdom, he miraculously delivered it to me right on time. Sometimes people will look at me and say, Pastor, that's a great answer. I've been thinking about this for weeks and I never thought about it that way. And I just smile inside and say, you're right about that. That was a great answer. I know that it only came from the Lord because I couldn't figure it out. I couldn't work it out. I've never been put in this situation, but I serve a God that has never seen a new situation. I serve a God that knows the situation before I know the situation. And sometimes we've just got to learn to have a vacation in the middle of the week. Sometimes we've got to learn to go in our secret place under the wings of the Almighty and relax and rely on Him and quote some scripture to ourselves and say, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not to your own understanding in all your ways. Acknowledge Him and He will. Not He might, not He may, but He will direct your path. He will give you and me wisdom. Our answer from God depends on our assurance in God. Our answer from God depends on our insurance in God. If we are not sure when we come to God, we will be affected. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. That is the result. That is the result of rejoicing. That is the result of requesting. That is the result of relaxing. And that is the result of relying. The result is, is that one day we will receive the crown of life. The crown of life is speaking of eternal life. And we will receive it because we withstood the test. We will receive it because God has promised it to us. We will receive it because we love him. You love God enough in the midst of your test to obey his word. Rejoice. Request. Relax. And rely. That sounds good. Rejoice. Request. Relax. And rely. Rejoice. Request. Relax. 
and rely. And the result is eternal life. May God give us the grace to apply this to our lives. Gracious Father, I pray that you will allow this word to mature in our hearts. Times, Father God, when we forget this, I pray that you would give us the grace in due time to remember it. Pray, Father God, that you would give us the grace to, to snap out of it before we respond immaturely or prematurely to something. That you would help us, the Lord, be conformed to the image of your most beautiful and holy Son. A son, Father God, that was willing to, to put his life on the line for us. Give us the grace, Father God, I beg you, Lord, to help us to have a mature faith, to, to develop a, a mature faith, a, a faith that pleases you, a faith that walks it out, a faith that works it out, Father. But we can't become anything more than you allow us to become. And we pray that you will continue, Father God, to give us the peace and the grace to become what you have designed us to become by grace. Thank you, Father. In Christ's name we do pray. Amen.